Luke chapter 1. We'll pick it up where we left off on Wednesday night, verse 26, Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And Ironside once said, Where in all literature would you find anything more beautiful than this story? A story which is all the more delightful because it's true. And Father, we believe in the truth of this story. A story that far preceded, Lord, the celebrations of Christmas. A story that was born of quietness and humility and obscurity. While in the heavens, glory was sung. And we, Lord, in this season, would take time to consider this and think through what exactly it was that you did, how you punched a hole in time and came to walk on this earth and to be among us and to bring us the hope of salvation. And Lord, I pray that this season our focus will be on Jesus and Jesus alone, that he will be at the center of all things that we will be made aware of Him, and even the strange and and bizarre and silly cultural things all around us would simply serve to turn our hearts and our minds to our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for salvation, Lord. Not for those who know You, for we know we are saved, but for those who don't. And ask for opportunity in our conversations and our relationships and our fellowships with people to talk about this wondrous and marvelous truth. And may salvation enter into the heart of the lost. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would now overshadow us and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Occasionally, perhaps this happens to you, but pictures appear on my refrigerator. Baby pictures. They're not family, they're not familiar, and they're not a little freaky. I I look at these, I say, what is this? Who is this? Why is this baby looking at me on my refrigerator? And show reminds me their birth announcements. And birth announcements come. Newborns photographed in uncharacteristically intelligent poses. Like Rodin's sculpture, The Thinker. You ever seen that baby pose? 
and you just wonder what's going on in that child's mind, you know. Or those baby poses where they're winged like little fairies. I like that one. <laughs> Babies dressed in Seahawks jerseys with eye black, as if the contract were already signed. Typically, such natal news flashes are sent from the parents after the child is born. But in the Gospel according to Luke, it opens up with two birth announcements sent to the parents before either child is born. The first birth announcement coming from the angel to Zechariah. The high, the, not the high priest, but one of the priests serving, working in the temple at the time of the offering of the incense. And the angel comes and speaks to him. And then the second announcement to an unwed virgin of Nazareth named Mary. A birth announcement to a virgin about her imminent pregnancy. And that's not quaint. And it's not charming. It's scandalous. And it's supernatural. We'll get into the story. And as we do, uh, thankfully the story still permeates this time of year. It is still talked about. It is still shared. Yes, as Brian talked about, it is somewhat overshadowed. Uh, There are other elements that come into it, silly cultural things that would take its place, and yet nothing is more profound than the story of Jesus' birth. And people can't seem to ignore it or get away from it. But we need to understand something, I believe, this year, and it hit me about halfway through my study this last week. And that is this whole season is supernatural. It is supernatural. I'm not talking about Christmas as we know it, or even this season and this time of year. I'm talking about the season surrounding the first coming of God into this world. It was absolutely, wholeheartedly supernatural. Now, if you're a note taker, a few things you might want to jot down, starting off with a supernatural season. A supernatural season. How many postcard papoose proclamations on refrigerators are heralded from heaven? That's where it begins. Verse 26 again says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Now this just thrills me. This angelic messenger came to Zacharias, as we talked about, six months earlier. And it says in the sixth month, and that's referring to the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Okay, so that's where he's time... Stamping this, six months after Elizabeth became pregnant, the angel now appears. And this is the same Gabriel as the ancient angel who visited the prophet Daniel 536 years earlier. And that thrills me. I mean, pause for a moment and think about that. What does that say about time? 536 years ago, Gabriel shows up and talks to Daniel. And now Gabriel shows up and talks to Zacharias in the holy place. And then he shows up, then he talks to Mary, same angel, 536 years has gone by, and I doubt that he'd aged a day. (laughs) Supernatural. Astounding. And I think, with all going on, people have trouble with the virgin birth. When you have an angel appearing after 536 years... To bring this announcement, the whole thing is supernatural. By the way, the Bible does not dance around that. Turn over, if you will, just for a moment to the book of 1 Corinthians. Sometimes Christians dance around it. And that's sad. Sometimes radio stations like... 
Praise 106.5 FM decide this season of the year to play all Christmas music all the time, including Frosty and Rudolph and all the and Jingle Bells. Hey, I love the songs. But why do we have to change our direction? We were just talking about this among the worship team this morning. Go ahead and play Christmas music. Just play all the Christmas music that declares Jesus. Why do we feel like we have to sometimes shrink back from the supernatural for the cartoonish? Why do we have to hide in the natural world? Why can't we just accept the supernatural for what it is? We serve and believe in a supernatural God who sent a supernatural Son into the natural world to do a supernatural thing. We need to accept this. This is the substance of our faith. The supernatural Jesus. And Paul goes right to the heart of it. He he says in verse 7 of chapter 2, pick it up there, we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. And that which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. Do you understand? He's talking about the natural. The eye seeing naturally. The ear hearing naturally. Even the heart receiving things naturally. And God has prepared it for those who love Him. You love God, you begin to enter into a supernatural relationship. For to us God revealed them, verse 10, through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, again, natural, but in words taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual with spiritual. That's what he says literally. Combining spiritual with spiritual. The translators say spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. I think it's deeper than that. The spiritual, the supernatural mind of Christ combined with us, bringing our spirits to the place of His Spirit and His Spirit into our spirits. He says, because a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. He cannot accept them or understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is a supernatural thing. And we're in a supernatural season. Again, not... The Christmas holiday season. But the supernatural time of the coming of Jesus to this earth. As well as a supernatural time in the history of this planet that is just preceding His second coming. Are you willing to live and to walk in the supernatural? Because our Jesus, He's supernatural. So we begin with Gabriel, this angelic messenger. You can go back to Luke Angelic messenger of the throne of Israel. That's the message that Gabriel brought to Daniel five centuries before. The throne of Israel. Here's what's going to happen. Here's the deal. He lays it out before Daniel prophetically. And now we're beginning to see these things come to pass as the same angel comes back and rightfully declares it to Zacharias and to Elizabeth. He shows up to a priest 
first in the holy place. You can almost accept that. Well, yeah, it's the holy place. So it's, it's the place geared for angelic visitation. And then he shows up to a virgin in a not-so-holy podunk village, a backwater town. He had said to Daniel, back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25, You are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. And the word weeks there, we just studied this, is Shavuah. It means sevens. There will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. For a total of 69 sevens, or as we've talked about, 483 years. There will be a time. He says, first off, of 49 years, and then secondly, there's going to be an additional 62, seven, 62 units of 7 years for a total of 483. Bible students, how long from the signing of the decree of Artaxerxes, March 14, 445 B.C., to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem? 483 years. That exact amount of time. I'm quizzing you because we were just here. When Jesus entered into the city, the angel proclaimed this is what would happen. He also said simply after that, that after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, killed. And there's your birth announcement. The baby will come to die. The baby is born to die. Of course, as we'll see, the announcement goes back even further than that. But for now, understand the veil between the natural and the supernatural. God has parted as He entered the world. Verse 27, He came to a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Number two, a descendant of David. A descendant of David. Now, we're told here that they were engaged. Let me explain that. There are three stages to Jewish wedding. At least in that time, engagement, which involved the formal agreement of the papas, tradition. Okay. Formal engagement first. Secondly, the betrothal, which was a formal ceremony of vows between the two. That had taken place. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. But thirdly would come the marriage itself. Usually it was as much as a year after the betrothal, during which time they were legally wed, but they weren't, uh, they hadn't consummated the marriage. The groom had not yet come for the bride. And that's a really beautiful picture because that's where we're at with Jesus. We are betrothed. We are wed to Him. We are the bride of Christ, and yet He has not yet come for us. And that's exactly where Mary was when the angel showed up. Betrothed, though the formal marriage hadn't taken place when the groom Joseph would come for his bride, Mary. They're in that season. Now Joseph himself, we're told here, was in the direct lineage of King David. The direct line of David. Do you know what that means? Have you thought about this? Had things gone differently, Joseph could have been seated on the throne of Israel in Jerusalem instead of on a wooden bench in a carpenter shop in the backwater town of Nazareth. This is a beautiful picture of what happens when things get out of whack. That which is designed for us and that which happens as we stray from the Lord. And as Israel strayed, so the whole scene would change for this man Joseph, who could have been king. 
I had never really considered that before. The carpenter could have been the king. Seated on that throne. He should have been living in glorious royalty. Instead, he is living in humble obscurity. And everything truly for Israel was out of order by the time Jesus came into the world. Galilee in the north was especially dark. Isaiah the prophet said that would happen. Matthew confirmed it. Isaiah 9 verse 2, Matthew 4.16 The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And you know this, the Jews were under dark oppression. The oppression of Rome was getting heavier and heavier. And worse yet, the line of David through his son Solomon was cursed. So all the way back to the line of Solomon before Joseph came along, it was cursed. He couldn't have sat on the throne. As far as God was concerned, that opportunity was over in the reign of a man by the name of Jehoiachin. Jeconiah. Who God would not even call Jeconiah. He took the Je off because it referred to Jehovah. And said, I'm just going to call him Coniah because I'm so put out with this guy. And in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 30, it says, Thus says the Lord, write this man down childless, a man who will not prosper in his days. For no man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. And that was Joseph's line. Joseph a direct line from David to Solomon to Jeconiah to his descendants and along comes Joseph and his line is cursed and he could never sit on that throne. So why then does Matthew, when he gives the lineage of Jesus, use that line? Luke doesn't. We'll see that at the end of chapter 3. But in Matthew chapter 1, he starts off giving this lineage from David through Solomon all the way down. Jeconiah is listed in the lineage, comes all the way down then through Joseph, and then we have Jesus. Matthew 1.16 says Joseph, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. It's interesting the way Matthew writes that, by the way. little side note. Matthew says, Matthew 1.16, Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, and the by whom is in the feminine form referring only to Mary. It doesn't refer to Joseph. He was married to Mary by whom Jesus was born. Typically, if you were talking about the husband and wife together birthing a child, you would say the by whom in the masculine to acknowledge the papa. <laughs> that it would go through him. And the wife would be brought in, obviously, to do her part, but the father's part. I mean, that's, that's the deal, right? And Matthew one twenty four tells us that Joseph took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The husband kept the wife a virgin until she had a son. <laughs> It's it's one of those supernaturals that you could gloss over if you don't pause and realize what that says. What it says is Joseph moved up the wedding, married Mary before the child was born, and in so doing, and I love Joseph for this, he extends over her and the baby the legal protection and rights of his name. Yes, the line was cursed. But there's still a legality there that he says, I will make her my wife so she's not going through this by herself. And I will extend over her my family name. And I will, from his perspective, culturally, legitimize this whole thing by taking her and the child as my own. And that was a good thing that he did. 
the royal line, now get this, the royal line of Joseph, or through Joseph, was cursed. Therefore, no biological offspring of Joseph could rule on the throne. However, there is a loophole. Legally speaking, as an adopted son, not technically of Joseph's bloodline, the legal right to the throne was passed on to Jesus. Because he was adopted and not of the bloodline, he could technically, legally, sit on the throne and not be part of the curse. God just bypassed it right there. Furthermore, spiritually speaking, the divine right to rule is passed along to Jesus through his biological mother, Mary, who was also a descendant of David, not by David's son Solomon, but by David's son Natan. David to Natan, straight down the line, and that's the lineage that we see given in the, at the end of Luke chapter 3. You take either line of these descendants of David, you arrive at Jesus through Mary, biologically, spiritually, he had every right to rule on the throne. Through Joseph, legally, not through his blood, but legally he has the right to rule on the throne. God took care of it. The first person, gang, since Jeconiah's rule, the first man of David's line who could legitimately and spiritually rule over Israel was Jesus. Wow. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get over to Luke chapter 3. But that, that's what we're talking about when I say a descendant of David. Not talking about Joseph, not talking about Mary. Talking about Jesus Christ, son of David. Third thing to note, a miracle in a maiden. A miracle in a maiden. Verse 28, And coming in... He said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at this statement. Ladies, wouldn't you be? And kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. By the way, one of the ways that we know that Luke interviewed Mary is we get Mary's thoughts. And there are several points throughout Luke's gospel, his gospel record, where we get Luke sharing what someone was thinking. And by this we understand that Luke did a lot of interviewing and a lot of researching and a lot of good journalistic work. Maybe it's not so apparent in the news today, but he was a good journalist, Luke was. And so he comes along and he's telling us what Mary's thinking. She's perplexed and she's pondering. And verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Gabriel's greeting bewilders her. It perplexes her. He calls her highly favored and one whom the Lord is with. And apparently Gabriel recognized her perplexity. He sees it in her eyes because then he says, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, you need to get used to that word favor when we get into the New Testament especially because you're going to see it a lot. It is charis in the Greek, and it means grace. It is the key word of the entire New Testament. Charis, grace. Get it down. It defines the follower of Jesus Christ. What is it that makes you think you're so worthy to be a follower of Jesus, to call yourself a Christian? Grace. Grace. Why do you think you're better than me? I don't. I just have grace. Probably, if we're being completely honest with each other, I'm worse than you, but I have grace. And it's grace that defines me. You need it, I need it. And by the way, Mary needed it. Trace her line. Again, all the way back to David. And what was it that David wrote? Psalm 51, verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
There are all kinds of, you know, stories and lore about what really happened uh, between David's mother and father and, and why perhaps he said that. But don't miss, he said, I was brought forth in iniquity. The word iniquity, avon in the Hebrew, is raw depravity. David was saying very clearly, I come from the line of man, which is a sinful line. Period. If you're born a human in this world, you are born with a sin nature. Were you talking about original sin, Rick? Well, no, I think we all sin originally on our own. (laughs) We're very creative that way. I'm not talking about Adam's sin. I'm talking about your sin and my sin and Mary's sin. That every human being born with that sin nature has the capability of sin and practices sin. One of the wonderful things grace does for us is starts to teach us how to practice righteousness. But sin is the deal. Catholic dogma... Catholic dogma states that Mary was immaculately conceived. Now, I never fully understood. What, what is the doctrine of immaculate conception? It's not a Madonna album. It's actually something that the Catholic Church teaches about Mary. What does it mean? It means, literally, that from the moment of Mary's birth, she was kept free from the Catholic doctrine of original sin. So she was born sinless and maintained her sinlessness. And you can't find that in the Bible. What that is, my friends, is man trying to work it out. You understand? Man saying, okay, if Jesus is born of a woman and there's a sin nature and all that going on, well then the only way Jesus could be sinless would be for Mary to be sinless. Well... If that's the case, then really, honestly, the only way for Mary to be sinless would be for her parents to be sinless, and her grandparents to be sinless, and her grandparents' grandparents, and so on, all the way back to David, who we know was not sinless. So you got a problem. <laughs> Kept and protected. What we find the Scriptures teaching is this. Romans 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why, Paul? Because all sinned. Mary is part of the all. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. Now, to Mary's credit, no doubt she was a sweet and chaste and devoted girl, but she was born, my friends, of the sinful lineage of humanity. She was a virgin, but she was not white as snow. She was a virgin physically. She had saved herself from marriage. Women do that. I know in our culture that's a shock, but it is a a, a possibility that a woman might remain pure. And she was. But it says, yet she found favor with God. She found grace with God. That Mary, who would otherwise be lost, just like you, just like me, we would otherwise be lost, except that we find grace with God. Mary found grace. And by the way, the key to inviting, uh, to finding favor with God is inviting Him to be with you. Inviting Him to enter into you. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. See how this works? Grace assures presence. If you have God's grace, you have His presence. Presence keeps you in His grace. If He is present with you, He will maintain the grace relationship. 
presence and grace, grace and presence, the two go so well together. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, who was the only sinless man. Because only through a sinless man could a sinful world be saved. Well, what about this whole virgin birth thing? Look at verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I'm a virgin? It's a great question. How can this be, Lord? She was the first one to ask that, by the way. (laughs) If you have friends who say, Oh, I don't believe that whole virgin birth thing. How can that be? Well, Mary asked long before you did, my friend. (laughs) How is this possible? Now listen, please understand, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the virgin birth of Christ is a non-negotiable tenet of your faith. You are not a follower of Jesus if you don't accept His virgin birth. I'm sorry to tell you that. But I believe a rejection of the virgin birth nullifies the claim that you follow Jesus. Now maybe you've been following along, listening in, interested, intrigued, but you're just not buying the supernatural stuff. You don't buy the supernatural stuff. Gang, the whole thing is for naught. It begins with the virgin birth. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, quoting from Isaiah 7.14, that ancient prophecy, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Supernatural. But the Isaiah prophecy itself... Isaiah 7.14 has been used by some to deny the virgin birth of Jesus. They go to the prophecy and they note that the Hebrew word for virgin in Isaiah 7.14 is Alma. Alma! Which can either mean a virgin or a young maiden in the Hebrew. It doesn't have to mean a virgin. Therefore, it could just be a young maiden will be with child. A couple things to note about that. The word is used nine times. Alma nine times in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Scriptures, eight of the nine times the context itself irrefutably refers to a virgin. And the ninth time, the only time in question, is Isaiah 7.14. It's the one time people want to question it. Well, every other time, the word is used to speak of a virgin. Furthermore, Isaiah the prophet said, the Lord will give you a sign. The Hebrew word is alt. It means a miraculous banner. A supernatural signal. The same word sign is used to describe the rainbow that God gave to Noah after the flood. Genesis 9 verses 12 through 17. I'm going to give you a sign. Something big. Something you're going to see that you'll know something different is taking place here. And I asked the question. I've asked it before. Since when is it a miracle for a maiden to get pregnant? It happens all the time. Young women can get pregnant right and left. That's not the issue. It is a sign. And the Greek translation in the New Testament of that Hebrew word Alma is Parthenos. And Parthenos in the Greek 
only refers to a virgin. It doesn't refer to just a young woman. It doesn't carry the dual meaning. It means a virgin. In fact, literally, Parthenos means a woman who has never had sexual intercourse with a man. It's pretty clear. What did Mary say of herself? Note that in verse 34. How can this be since I am a virgin? You might want to note this in your Bibles. She doesn't say the word virgin. Not at all. What she says is, how can this be since I have known no man? I've never been with a man. How is it possible? There is no ambiguity in the story, my friends. Mary was a virgin. And add to all that, don't forget what the child was going to be called, Emmanuel. God with us. That is too big a name for any naturally born child. I don't care how gifted you think your kids are. (laughs) My little Emmanuel. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) You know what I, what I, I don't necessarily say out loud, but what I think when parents come up to me and say, my child is just so gifted, I say, give him time. This is a supernatural sign of a virgin with child, a child who will be called Emmanuel. And I had someone ask me this in the challenge, in the debate. Someone said, well, when was Jesus ever called Emmanuel? I mean, there's a problem right there. Isaiah says he's going to be called Emmanuel. Matthew repeats that he's going to be called Emmanuel. When in the Bible do you ever see him called Emmanuel? And, well, first of all, I thought I just did call him Emmanuel. How many times in 2,000 years has Jesus been called Emmanuel? We can't count it because we don't know. Over and over and over and over. This child will be called Emmanuel. How many times just in the Christmas songs do we declare the name of Emmanuel exactly like the prophet said? Understand that prophecy is not just fulfilled in the pages of Scripture. It is fulfilled in the world. And that is the supernatural exerting itself upon the natural world. Every time you hear the word Emmanuel spoken or sung this season, know that it is a fulfillment of prophecy. Cool. You're walking down the mall and you hear, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. You should jump up and say, Listen, did you hear the prophecy? <laughs> and as they're kicking you out, you can sing all the way to the car. <laughs> The gang, we can go back even further than all of this. We can go back to the original birth announcement. And it wasn't Isaiah's 700-year-old prophecy. The first birth announcement of Christ is called the Proto-Evangelicon, the first gospel. And it was spoken by God in Genesis 3.15. He's in the midst of cursing Satan and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. You shall bruise him on the heel. Well, Jesus did in fact crush Satan's authority by the nails through his feet. The bruises on his heels would crush the head of the serpent. But Genesis 3.15, only time in all of ancient literature that a woman is ever referred to as having a seed. Men have the seed. Women have the egg. And the two coming together is what produces the natural child. But in Jesus' case, it was a miraculous birth. Gabriel tells her, here's how it's going to work. Verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. That was kind of a sign the angel gave to Mary right there. Look, I'll give you another sign. This is already happening six months ago. Boom. Elizabeth is with child. We talked about that Wednesday night. And there are things on the recording from Wednesday night that you're not going to understand. You'll hear laughter and you won't know why. Sorry. She who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord. Now hang on a second. Had there ever been a time when the Holy Spirit of the living God overshadowed someone or something before? The answer is yes. The word overshadowed there. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's a piskiadzo. A piskiadzo. Which, if you want to write that down, just take your best shot. (laughs) A piskiadzo in the Greek means a shining cloud enveloping with brightness. And so this word, this overshadowing speaks, gang, it speaks of the Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory of God that filled the temple with His presence. Solomon's temple was filled. Episciadzo. The shining cloud of His glory. And the same word would later be used to describe Jesus' transfiguration in Matthew 17.5 while Jesus was still speaking. A bright cloud overshadowed them and behold a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Now I don't know when it happened. That's the one thing Luke doesn't tell us. When did that that glory overshadow Mary? At what point? You know, was it right then as the angel was speaking to her? Was it just after that? We don't know. We're not told. But the angel said, here's how it's going to happen. The Shekinah glory of God, His Spirit, is going to envelop and overshadow you. And you will bear this Son. Gang, to discount the supernatural work of a supernatural God in this story is to drain all the substance from it. It must be seen as supernatural or not seen at all. This is not like the reindeer. We all know can't fly. The antlers don't provide lift. You know, They're not weightless. It, it, that's not, it's silly. It's, it's a game. It's imagination. This is not. This is a supernatural, absolute truth. And here's the substance. Put it all together. The supernatural scene of the birth of the descendant of David, the miracle and the maiden himself, it is all about, number four, fourth and final one, it is about the incomparable Christ. The incomparable or incomparable Christ. And Colossians 2.17 tells us the substance belongs to to Christ. Back in verse 31, look quickly. His name is Jesus. You shall name Him Jesus. Well, of course, Yeshua. The Hebrew word for salvation. Anytime you see that word in the Hebrew Scriptures used, the word salvation, it's Yeshua. Let's name Jesus that, God says. I want to be clear about what's going on. Verse 32 says He will be called great. The Greek word for great. Mega. (laughs) He is the mega Savior. I love that. I have a mega Messiah. He shall be called mega. Verse 32 says he will be called the son of the most high, which other religions would deny, but not Christianity. 
It says he will own the throne of his father David. We've already covered that. It says in verse 32, he will reign over the house of Jacob. The Jewish king that the Jews were promised will reign and rule over the Jews. Verse 32 continues saying his kingdom will have no end. And verse 35 then says the holy child, the son of God, describes this incomparable Christ. The Holy Child, the Son of God. That is so important. Please note this in verse 35. That the phrase, the Holy Child, the word child is not used there. Literally, the phrase here for Holy Child is the Holy One begotten. The Holy One begotten. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying there's none other like Him. The word holy there is very explicit. This absolutely singular The singular person. The Holy One begotten. No other God-man has ever existed and no other God-man will ever exist. And I would say that to my Mormon friends. You will not become a God. There's only one who was God and became man and, and God again. Who was always God... But then became God, but then became man and is still God and man. Nobody else. Totally singular, completely unique, absolutely holy, the matchless Messiah, the incomparable Christ. He is the Holy One begotten. He's the one of whom Isaiah spoke, Isaiah 9, verse 6. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of His government or of peace. On the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts? Yeah, supernatural. And Paul said in 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory, and again, in other words, supernatural. Now the the world hears that story and says, it seems incredible. Too good to be true. Impossible. Does Mary herself in the story, as angel, as the angel Gabriel is explaining this and speaking this to her, does she have a look of incredulity on her face? Not that Mary didn't believe or wasn't willing to believe, but that Mary was just amazed. The Bible already told us she was perplexed. And so the angel says in verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Note this. Nothing will be impossible with God. The literal translation of what the angel said is, no word of God shall be powerless. The word I have spoken to you is a word of power. No word of God shall be powerless. You want to know why I keep driving home the idea that this is a supernatural story? A supernatural event of a supernatural Savior and ours is a supernatural faith? Because there is power there. There's power in the supernatural. Not like the power of man. And it's that power that man keeps trying to exert and it doesn't work. It always leaves us frail. 
It always leaves us weaker than when we began. It's not intellectual power. It's not the ability to think all this through and come out to the conclusion logically. Although it does have a perfect logical conclusion. It is not physical power. It's not the amount of weightlifting that you do that gets you finally to that place where you can say, I am a powerful man. No. Because your body still is going to weaken and you're still going to die. It is not the political power of presidents and rulers and kings or parties. That kind of power changes every time the voters go into the voting booth. Oh, what about an dictatorship? Every time the dictator gets overthrown. I mean, how much history do we need to see that countries don't last forever? Not a single one has, and the only one that's been around longer than any of the others is Israel. Why? Supernatural power. We're not talking about the power of the angry noise of the activists. Some would say we should just rise up if Christians would only get louder. Our power gang is not in the noise of our voices. It's not the power of the activist at all. We are talking about the supernatural power of God. And the reason it's so important to get this and understand is there is an inherent weakness in us all. Even Christians have the same inherent weakness, the same propensity to sin, the same ability to fail, the same uh, attitude of sometimes hypocrisy. We're humans. We need a power greater than the power that is us. His power in us changes things. And suddenly it's not the noise of our voices, it is the word that we speak. Because there is power in the word of God. No word of God spoken is powerless. Which means as you pray the word of God over family and friends this season, guess what? There's power there. As you speak simply and plainly the Word of God, the Gospel of Jesus Christ to friends and family, there is power there that is greater than your ability to explain. You don't have to have it all down. Just speak the Word. Share what you've studied that week. Jesus, the incomparable Christ, well, He had this to say of Himself, John 3.34, For He whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For He gives the Spirit without measure. That's power. John 6.63 It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you, Jesus says, are Spirit and are life. There is power here. Power in the Word. And the Word is Christ. So how's your power level this December? Is it waning? We've had a rough couple of weeks in my household. Perhaps you've heard. In fact, we've decided to stop driving altogether. Cheryl had a rough time. We had our van in the shop last week, and then we almost had the daily vehicle in the shop. That got fixed and taken care of. And then uh, this week, Friday, Cheryl got rear-ended by a lady who was driving, and she wasn't texting. She was just driving and reaching for a soda that she had just bought, and looked down, and the next and Cheryl was stopped behind a school bus. It was stopped with the red lights flashing and everything. Middle of the road, Cheryl was just sitting there, didn't even see her coming, and the woman smashed at full speed into the back of our van. Um, Cheryl woke up the next morning just, just a little sore. That's supernatural power. And it was not a power of her own that protected her. 
And she's doing fine. We're going to go to the doctor just to be sure. But, because I don't want everybody coming out going, you really should go to the doctor, because she's already gotten like 45 texts and messages. No, we're going. <laughs> My point is this. My power level drops real easily. And the world wears me down and tires me out. And sometimes I feel limited simply by my circumstances. I say, Lord, how can I preach the word in a barn on North Whidbey Island and really have an impact in this world? Sometimes I feel limited by time. I just don't have enough time to do the things that I know God wants me to do. Or I feel limited by resource. If only I had more that I could give. Maybe you've had the fantasy. You know, you don't do play the lotto, but you think maybe one time and then I'll pay off the building. That is not a suggestion. Maybe you feel limited by ability or talents or giftedness. I've heard from so many people, I just don't have any gifts. Well, good. Then the power will obviously not be from you. There is power in the Word of God, my friends. The Word is given, and the Word is Christ. And in this or any season, the best response any follower of Jesus, any child of God can have to the supernatural power of God is Mary's response. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. Amen? Amen. Father, may may it be done to us according to your word. May these things that we have studied this morning bring encouragement to us, but Father, much more so, uh, enlightenment as to where our strength comes from. As to how we are to live and move in this world, in this natural world, with a supernatural, the supernatural Spirit of the living God upon us. May we be, Father, supernaturally different because of Jesus the Son. Lord, we invite Your Spirit to reside in this place. We ask Your Holy Spirit to overshadow us and do Your work and have Your way and accomplish Your will in us and through us. In Jesus' name, Amen.